Today's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 16 to 38. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. For Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, for which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away as disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Kevin. Good. Thank you. If you have your Bibles open, um, please turn to Acts chapter 20, um, because we will go over some of the parts um, that we haven't read in our chapter, in the beginning of the chapter. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. 
Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul, and we thank you for his life and his ministry, and we thank you that uh, the, the ministry that you have done through him continues today. And Lord, we pray that you'll, uh, your living word will go out, and it will refresh us, and it will bring us back um, to yourself and to your greatness and to this uh, word of grace, um, that we might be renewed, and that we might be a people who go and tell others about this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right after I graduated from college, I spent two years in a country called Honduras. Honduras is uh, in Central America, and I was partly testing out my call um, uh, as a a missionary. I wanted to see if this is something that God was calling me to do, so I went and spent two years there. I taught at a school. I taught religion, philosophy, literature. It was a great experience. I also uh, volunteered and worked uh, with the priest in the church, in the local church, uh, and um, you know, it had its, its ups and downs. Uh, the, some of the ups are actually that I'm still in contact with some of the students that I taught. Um, whenever you see on Facebook, Mr. Han, that's actually one of my students from 20, some, yeah, how many years ago was that? 20 years ago, um, more than that. Um, and it, it's, it, it, it was great experience in many ways, but it also was very difficult. I was surrounded by dengue and malaria constantly. <laughs> and uh, the uh, drug violence was a real threat um, there. In fact, uh, once I was eating at a restaurant and there was a drive-by and the bullet just missed me and hit the chair of the person uh, sitting right next to me. And, 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 and the inconveniences um, of being in a developing country that's torn apart by drug wars and, and things like that was real. So after two years um, there, I decided actually maybe this is not something that I could continue. It was just too hard. Well, Paul wasn't like me. (laughs) Today, we see Paul coming towards the final stage of his public ministry. Uh, In the section that we didn't read, uh, in the beginning of chapter 20, there's a list of cities that he visited as part of his third missionary trip. So he goes towards, um, uh, uh, he goes and visits all these uh, cities again. And Paul is now on his way to Jerusalem. And he decided not to stop by Ephesus, but when he stops at Miletus, which is just, far, just a little bit away from Ephesus, he calls the pastors, the elders of Ephesus, to come to him. And when they come, he tells them this is going to be the last time that he's going to see them. And he gives them his parting words. Uh, we should pay attention for many reasons, um, because, but one of the reasons is because in Acts, this is the only one and the only sermon given to uh, Christians. All the other sermons recorded by Peter and Paul are given to non-Christians, but this one is directed to the church and the church leaders, and it's his final words to them. In all of this, um, he uh, gives instructions on how to keep going, and it. I think is a very big challenge. It would have been a challenge um, to me when I was at 22, 24, um, but it, was, it has challenged me uh, this past week. And I think I can summarize his exhortation in these three ways. He goes, he tells the pastors to show people the worthiness, the worth, the value of the gospel in the way they live. And then he tells them to go and preach 
the word, to, 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 to preach and teach the whole will of God and to keep watch over the flock. Paul knew the true worth of the gospel, and he tells them so. And we see a version of this in his letter to Philippians, but we see a paraphrasing of it in verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Everything else was secondary to him. The main reason why he lived was to show people, to tell people, to testify to the good news of God's grace. His life was secondary. His suffering was secondary. The cost that he paid to do it was all secondary. This is the primary reason why he lived. He suffered amply for the sake of the gospel, and that was obvious to the leaders in Ephesus. When they come, the first words out of his mouth are verse 18. You know how I lived among you. You know how I lived. You know how much I suffered. You know how much tears I shed each night being with you. You know how my life was almost overwhelmed by the mobs. And not just in Ephesus, in many other places, he suffered for the sake of the gospel. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem. He says, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but the Spirit tells me that I'm going to suffer there. But he's going there anyway. In fact, in every city, verse 23, the Holy Spirit has shown him how much he would suffer. And he's calling, when Jesus calls Peter, I mean Paul, he calls Paul as an apostle to the Gentile, and he says, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Every city there was prison and hardship. But why did he keep going? Why didn't all this suffering stop him? Well, because he thought that this news that he has This gospel of the grace of God was worth suffering for, worth going through all that trouble to deliver this to people who haven't heard it. It was more important, more valuable than facing the mobs and imprisonment and sickness and shipwrecks and and even death itself. Uh, Every month, we have a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, we invite one of the mission partners that we support to come and share. A few months back, it was uh, Standasia, and Standasia um, then told us about this Laotian pastor from Laos, Laotian pastor, who, who was warned many times to stop preaching, stop going around and stop building the church and stop preaching the gospel. Well, he couldn't. Well, why not? Because... This message was eternal life for him. It was life for him now. It was eternal life for him. And he knows, he knew that it was eternal life for those who hear it. So he didn't stop. And last October, he paid the ultimate price. People suffer for the gospel because it is worth it to tell others. And it wasn't just facing the dangers. He did it in the way that he lived as well. Uh, in the way that he worked. You see, he tells the elders, he knows, the, the elders know, you know how I didn't, it, well, I wasn't in it for money. I wasn't building myself up by doing this. And to make sure that, uh, that, that everybody knew, um, he made a living, verse 34, as a tent maker. 
right? He wasn't in it for money. He actually worked really hard to deliver this message for free. He went through all the trouble of working a full-time job. And in every spare time that he had, he went and taught people the gospel um, because he thought it was worth it. It was worth all that sacrifice and trouble. He knew that, I mean, he knows that he should have been paid. After all, remember uh, uh, 1 Timothy uh, 4, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17. I mean, he says, elders who work in the church should be paid, are worthy of double honor, he says. But he wanted to show people the worth, the value of the gospel by paying for it himself so that he could present it for free for people. So they could see the worth of the gospel. You know, Ariel right now is in Indonesia, right now. He's encouraging pastors there in their ministry. He paid for this trip himself. He he took out vacation days um, to do this. Well, if you ask why, why is he doing this right now? So he could go and tell them, these pastors, these missionaries who are working in Indonesia, that their work is valuable, that their ministry is valuable, that he wants to encourage them in their ministry because their ministry is bringing eternal life to people who need it, who, uh, who need the word of God desperately. And so he's willing to make that sacrifice to show the worth because he thinks this is worth it. Paul wanted to show people the value of, that gospel, of gospel by suffering, for, by paying for it himself. Church, we sacrifice uh, uh, for the things that we really do love, don't we? Right? If you have a hobby that you really love, in your free time you do that. You know, you stay up late to do that. Um, for many parents, it's, it's children that they love, and they make all sorts of sacrifices because they know that this is very, very important. They, they are valuable to you. Friends, how about the gospel? What sacrifice have you made for the gospel? How have you shown that you value the gospel? The word of God, the word of life that has come to you. And if we don't make any sacrifices, it probably means that we don't value it. That we think it's just one of many things that we do. It's not the main thing that we do. I consider myself, my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Church, show people the immeasurable worth of the gospel by the way that you live. And others will wonder why you do the things that you do. Others will ask why you do the things that you do. As Paul suffered, risked death got shipwrecked, flogged, got sick. So what did he actually do? Well, he went and spoke. He went and taught, didn't he? He proclaimed and he taught the whole will of God. In our reading in the section that we read, um, Luke, uh, the writer, uses many different uh, synonyms um, to describe what he did. Verse 19 and 25, he preached. Verse 19, he taught. He declared, verse 20. He proclaimed, verse 27. He warned, verse 31. He went and taught people the whole counsel of God. And that was the primary thing. That's how he saw himself, his task. 
uh, his primary task. And we see the importance, what he thought of his ministry uh, in the section that we didn't read. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look up to uh, chapter 20. Earlier in the chapter, we see Christians worshiping in the city of Troas in verse 7. He has, uh, and people come together on the Lord's day, and what does Paul do? He spoke until midnight. He's got a little time in Troas, so he uses all the time that he has. He speaks until the midnight, and he keeps on speaking. And what happens? Verse 9, I mean, maybe, you know, he's, 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 he's talking until midnight. There's a young man named Eutychus, verse 9. Maybe he's getting a bit tired. He goes by the window to get some fresh air, and he sits there listening to Paul. And I love the description here. And he ta- while he talked on and on <laughs> at the end of verse 9, and when he fell asleep, he falls out of the window and he dies. And what does Paul do? All this is recorded matter-of-factly. He just goes down, he wraps himself up uh, uh, on him, and he revives him. He's back alive again. And if you think that this is actually maybe he, he wasn't quite dead, I, there is a, a um, parallel to this. Uh, Peter raises somebody from the dead, and Paul is doing the same thing. I mean, it, this is why, one of the reasons why this is being recorded. But he raises somebody from the dead. But what's remarkable to me is what he does afterwards. You know, what would you do if somebody was dead, and then this person came back to life? Paul goes downstairs and he talks more. <laughs> After talking until the daylight, he left. He talks, he preaches, he teaches. That was his main ministry. You see, his ministry was teaching of God's word, instructing people. So he taught, so in our text, we see he, he says he taught publicly and from house to house, verse 20. He taught both Jews and Greeks, verse 21. He taught anything that would help you, he says in verse 20. He testified to the good news of God's grace, verse 24. He says that his conscience is clear, leaving them, leaving the Ephesians, because he taught the whole will of God. He did not hesitate to to, uh, give them, proclaim to you the whole will of God. That word hesitate means actually that there were some things that are difficult to say. There were some things maybe they they didn't want to hear, but he preached it anyway because it was important for them. And he's confident that the Ephesian elders will continue to go and build up the church uh, because he had taught them the whole counsel of God and because he knew the power of God's word. Verse 32, now I commit to you, to God and his word. It's the same thing here. God and his word of grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We have received salvation upon hearing God's word and believing in it. We are sanctified through God's word. We are kept, uh, sustained for the day of his return through God's word. We grow in maturity through God's word. As with Paul, a devoted church leader's main job is to teach and preach God's word. Of course, there are other things that the pastors do. Administration, emails, managing money, staffing, uh, setting vision and, and motivating people, getting people to volunteer or whatever, counseling. That's all part of his job. But all those are secondary. 
You know, a tennis player has to do many things, uh, don't they? Tennis players uh, sometimes have to interview and they have to manage their team or whatnot. But the main job of the tennis, tennis player, player is to play tennis. Same thing with the firefighters. The firefighters may have to maintain their equipment and uh, uh, make public appearances, but their main job is to fight fires. And Christian leaders wear many hats, but their main job is to study, teach, and proclaim God's word. And we see that, we saw that in First Timothy, and we see that again here. And I hope, once again, and thank you so much for the prayers, um, Steve. And I hope you will pray for me and others who teach God's word here in this church, that we'll teach the whole counsel of God, that we'll not hesitate to proclaim the difficult things, the things that we need to hear as well. And I hope you'll, you'll pray, and, and, and if you will have any leadership responsibilities in this church, whether you're a small group leader or Sunday school leader or youth leader, that you will see that job mainly as a teaching place, teaching with your word, teaching with your life, the, the, the grace of God. And I hope that you'll see that as one of your main responsibilities as you meet with other Christians. You know, when we have conversations, we will actually start coffee hours soon, um, next month, uh, in, in February. But as we start, I hope one of, the, you, one of the things that you will do is that you will speak God's truth um, to, uh, to, to other people, to, other, uh, to, to their lives. That you will listen and will also listen, encourage, but also speak uh, God's truth um, to one another. And I hope that that's also what we're doing in our workplaces, in our families, in the cof- by the, 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 the coffee uh, machine and the water coolers, that we're speaking and declaring God's grace to others. And on Sundays, um, you know, when you come, I am encouraged when people go, you know what, he, I, I heard what you said, but I don't quite agree with what you said um, here uh, about that. I'm totally encouraged when this happens because I know that that means that you've been engaging, that you think that this is serious enough, that we should engage together. I hope you'll do that. And if you have trouble reading the Bible, I have put together just one-page resource um, uh, summary resources, um, and it's been sent out this morning through the email. Do check it out and just start reading the scripture. And if you need help, come and uh, come to me. It is, after all, one of my main jobs is to teach you God's word and how to read it. So let's continue learning together, declaring God's truth to one another and to the world. Uh, so one of the main jobs of the shepherds is to feed the flock, but it's also to they're, they're there to protect the flock. And, and it's striking that these are the parting words um, to the leaders of Ephesus, isn't it? Imagine uh, in my time here, at some point it'll end in Shatin. Say, say, imagine if I'm leaving. You know, what would I say to all of you? I might say something like, well, you know, it's been a privilege. It's, 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 it's been really great. And I've seen you grow, all those things. And then I'll say, you know, you just keep going and God will do great things, you know, through you. God has great plans for this church. And I've seen it happen. Something like that. Something encouraging. But that's not how Paul ends. <laughs> that's not what Paul says to these Ephesians, Ephesian elders. What does he say? He says, he warns them. He says, watch out for these savage wolves, verse 29. More shocking is the next bit, verse 30. Even from your own number, 
men will arise and distort the truth. Look among you. You know, one of you, two of you will arise and distort God's truth. That, it's the warning he leaves them with. Some of you will become false teachers. And the problem is, in a natural world, you know, it's easy to tell a sheep from a wolf. But people, well, that's not so easy. Bad guys don't wear bad guy name stickers. Uh, false teachers who draw away, you away from Jesus, they don't sound like the devil. They sound like Jesus. They sound like the angels. Jesus himself warned false teachers, called false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. So be on your guard. All sorts of false teaching has proliferated uh, throughout the church history. You know, Jesus seems like human. Jesus only seems like God. Today's many false teachers promise health and prosperity. Some say that God favors certain nations and certain people over others. Some say that all religions are pretty much the same. They all lead to the same God. Friends, false teaching must be vigilantly stamped out from the church. That is one of the, the, the job of the pastors, to make sure that the sheep are being fed good food. Why? Well, because the church is not, it's God's. The church is God's. We don't belong, uh, we belong to our masters. Have you ever taken care of somebody else's pet? You know, and somebody goes away and he gives you uh, their dog or something to take care of? You know, it's hard because you don't want anything bad to happen to that pet while uh, uh, the pet's on your watch because it's not yours. You want to take extra better care of the pet well, the church is God's. Church is Christ's. It is his, and we must watch out that it continues to belong to Jesus and not to anybody else. And not only that, look at the price that he paid. Verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own precious blood. The price that he paid for us, for each one of us, even the most difficult ones among us, he paid with the price of his blood. So we make sure that we're eating the right thing, that we are kept in his path, and, and, and that we belong to him. So devoted leaders, watch out for false teaching. And we care for one another. By speaking God's truth. When we see a sheep going astray somewhere else to a different path, we ought to say, even if it's difficult, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what you should be doing. I don't think those are the kinds of people that you should be listening to. Let's turn to Scripture again. Let's to learn, uh, turn to God, um, uh, God's Word again. And that's also why it's important that we belong to a small group and we belong to a church. A sheep out doing things by itself all alone. Well, it's much easier for that sheep to wander out. But when we're surrounded by others who can speak God's truth into our life, well, it's harder to go, um, uh, 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 to, to lose the way. If we belong to a pastor, a, 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 a shepherd, the shepherd will also go out and say, no, no, no that, that's the wrong way. Do we belong to a church? Do we belong to a small group? Do we belong to relationships who can speak God's truth into our life? Ultimately, eternal life is at stake. Ultimately, the price of Jesus' blood is at stake. 
Pastor Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life has sold more than 30 million copies in over 50 different countries. I think it's so popular because, you know, a lot of people actually just don't know why they live. Purpose-driven life. It sounds attractive, doesn't it? To live for a purpose. Many people don't know why they live. Uh, That wasn't a problem for Paul. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Uh, He wanted to preach the good news of the gospel of grace to everyone that he met. And he wanted to build them up in the gospel of grace. And he was willing to live for it and also to die for it. Sometimes I lose sight of all of this. You know, sometimes I preach and I teach, I counsel, I meet with people, I encourage um, to, you know, in a way, make a little difference. I'm satisfied sometimes with making a little difference. But friends, if we step back, if we step back in our life, you know, all these little sacrifices that you make to share the gospel with your friends at workplace, in your family, in the way that you disciple, the co- coffee conversations that we have um, downstairs, in the, the conversations that we have in our small groups. Friends, that's speaking life, eternal life to them. It's snatching people out of the jaws of savage wolves and keeping them in, in God's flock. It's helping them to grow and give them the word of God that will sustain them in the most difficult times. And that will sustain them until Jesus comes back. That sort of ministry often looks like nothing. It looks like, you know, you've seen the photos um, with Ariel. It looks like him going in to a group of four or five people and encouraging them. It looks like eating with them. It looks like just speaking, you know, having a normal conversation. But it's that sort of thing that is worth living for and also dying for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life that you've given him, given us uh, through him. We thank you for the price that you've paid to make us your own. And Lord, we pray that we will live a life that's worthy of your blood, your son's blood. Help us uh, to keep straight. Help us to study your word. Help us to speak your truth into each other's life. Help us to watch our, ourselves um, and, and others. And Lord, we pray that the way that we live will show how much we love you, how much we value this gospel that's been entrusted to us, that's given to us. And Lord, help us to take care of it. Help us to take care of others and help us to share this good news with others. Lord, use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.